What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hey guys, before we start with today's episode, I just wanted to mention that we are blessed enough to have a brand sponsoring us today that I personally highly recommend, and that is Fairhaven Health. As a trusted leader in reproductive health, Fairhaven Health's natural products are developed and formulated in partnership with trusted medical experts, including doctors, OBGYNs, nutritionists, and naturopaths. From top fertility supplements from both men and women, Fairhaven supports your entire journey into parenthood and beyond. After you make a purchase, Fairhaven Health offers full access to its knowledgeable and friendly in-house customer service team who are always happy to assist. Check out their wide variety of products at fairhavenhealth.com or by using the link in the description of this episode. And don't forget that they're offering us all 10% off using code LAMB. L-A-M at checkout. And thank you for supporting the sponsors that support our show. Now let's get into today's episode. Hello, everyone. We have Anna Wallace on today's episode. I am so excited to get to know a little bit more about her. Anna, I am just going to toss it at you, start wherever you'd like with your story. Awesome. Thank you, Shelly. And um, thank you so much for having me on today. Um, So I just wanted to start a little bit about myself. I'm an artist and I've been an artist pretty much my whole life. And so kind of my identity as an artist has always sort of shaped the way I've thought about motherhood. Um, It's kind of changing, but in the art world right now, there's definitely this stigma against um, artists who are mothers. And this certainly does not um, kind of transfer over to the male side of things. There's plenty of, you know, male artists who are parents and nobody kind of questions that. But anyways, I always sort of as I was growing up and being an artist thought that motherhood was not something that was kind of would be for me. Um, and then when I was in college, I just got like baby fever. Um, you know, all of a sudden just sort of started having these dreams about being pregnant. And like, I would have this recurring dream where I, you know, I would be pregnant in my dream and then I would wake up and I would still feel my belly and I would still be pregnant. And then I would you know, wake up all the way (laughs) and then just have this feeling of almost like loss. Like I lost something that I didn't even have. So kind of over a few years, sort of during college and after college, I really realized that being a mom was something that I really wanted. Um, So kind of fast forward, uh, I met my man who would be my husband. um, And at the time I was about 23, 24, and he was actually, he is actually 20 years older than me. Um, and so, you know, we sort of started dating and I, I think I told him I wanted to be a mom on our first date, which was so funny. Um, and kind of because I just didn't even think necessarily that, um, it would kind of go anywhere because of the age difference. And so I was just sort of really upfront. Um, but as things kept getting more serious, you know, I was like, you know, we have to have kids because I'm an only child and, um, I didn't, you know, I knew that if we stayed together, you know, I would have some serious years kind of alone, um, you know, after he had passed. And so I said, you know, we have to have kids because I can't be alone. So he finally, you know, was sort of like, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll do that. That'll be in the cards for us. Um, 
because I think because of his age, he probably thought, you know, he wouldn't even have kids um, for a long time. And so anyways, fast forward again, I finished graduate school and we bought a house and got married and we waited about a year uh, before we started trying. So we started trying um, in 2019 when I was uh, 28 and he was 48. Um, so that was in July of um, 2019, I think. And so I had been on birth control for about a decade. And so I went off birth control and I also went off, like I was on Zoloft. Um, and so I decided to go off that as well. Um, so there was probably a lot of hormonal stuff going on for me <laughs> and still is obviously. But um, so we started trying and we got pregnant on the third cycle, um, which I think now I think about it, it was pretty fast, but at the time it felt like kind of the longest three months of my life. I, I knew that it was going to be really hard for me kind of emotionally to go through, um, you know, getting negative pregnancy tests and, and all of that and just sort of negative self-talk and feeling like each time it didn't work out, feeling like it would never work out. Um, but was so, so, so happy when um, we got that positive. Um, I was pretty aware of the data around miscarriage, even though I don't, I still don't really know many people close to me who, who have had a miscarriage. Um, and anyway, so I was pretty aware of it, but of course never thought like, you know, that would happen to me. Um, I started reading everything about pregnancy. I was listening to a lot of like motherhood podcasts, um, just really kind of that was like my all day, every day was kind of thinking about the pregnancy and thinking about motherhood. Um, I wasn't having any sort of pregnancy related symptoms other than like gas and acne, <laughs> which I thought was kind of weird. Like my breasts weren't tender and I wasn't having any morning sickness other than like one day of being kind of dizzy and felt weird and that was it. Um, but again, I didn't really think anything of it at the time. Um, I went in to get to the doctor to get um, just the urine confirmation. And when I did that and we talked about, you know, the dates of my last period and, um, you know, the test confirmed I was pregnant and they said that I was nine weeks at the time, which I was really shocked by, even though I knew the dates of my period and everything, just as I was tracking my cycle, I actually thought it was only like six weeks um, because my cycles had been really long. Um, and so I was really shocked by the night, that nine week um, information. And so kind of went into overdrive, like we were further along than I thought. And um, I had met with a nurse and she basically kind of shamed me for not having like a birth plan yet, which I was also like, that seems so early. And so I kind of went into overdrive on that and was making um appointments to go visit birth centers and hospitals um, so I could figure that stuff out. And so it was sort of readjusting to potentially this new um, timetable. Um, and then it was time for my first ultrasound. Um, my husband was out of town, so my mom came with me. And so, you know, at the time we were thinking I was maybe about 11 weeks, um, according to, you know, the date that my doctor had told me. Um, so we went in and um, had the ultrasound. She did it at first, you know, just on top because of how far along they thought I was. Um, and they did find a heartbeat. 
um, right away, but because she was, you know, measuring it and said, oh, what, this is, doesn't seem quite 11 weeks. Um, I wanted to go ahead and do um, a vaginal ultrasound just to get a closer look. Um, so we did that. And again, you know, we heard the heartbeat. It was so cool to sort of see that little boom, boom, boom on the monitor. Um, and she said that she thought the baby was measuring closer to six weeks, um, six or seven weeks, which felt actually more accurate to what I thought that sort of my dating was, but it was then it just was like crazy to go back and forth between all those different weeks that they were telling us. And like the tech didn't seem concerned. And, you know, I, I certainly wasn't concerned that potentially there were any issues because just nobody said anything. Um, so, you know, we just had the, the ultrasound and then they did want me to go talk to a doctor afterwards because, um, they had seen a cyst. Um, and the doctor said it was probably just my corpus luteum and that there was no problem, but just wanted to sort of go over that with me. So anyways, I basically left feeling really happy and wonderful and that there was no problems and, you know, texted the picture to my husband and to, um, his, his family. So at this point we had only told uh, my parents and his parents and his sister. Um, and eventually I told about three friends. Um, you know, I definitely felt that sort of stigma that I shouldn't tell until, you know, I was 12 weeks. Um, and then with the sort of going back and forth between potential how many weeks along I was, I, you know, I had sort of thought after the ultrasound, I would only have to wait another week. And then I kind of went back in time again. So I just sort of told a couple friends because I couldn't kind of take it anymore. And everybody knew that we were trying. Um, so it was sort of kind of understood by a lot of people, I think. So um, all of this was sort of happening between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So at, at Thanksgiving, which was before the ultrasound, we had told uh, my husband's family when we were having Thanksgiving with them. And then, um, and then around Christmas, according to the ultrasound, I would have been about nine weeks. So we had um, Christmas Day with my family, and then we drove up the next day to um, Asheville. So we're about three hours from Asheville, North Carolina, where we live in Durham. And um, so we drove up the day after Christmas to Asheville, where my husband's family had rented this beautiful cabin in the mountains. Um, so with his parents and his sister and a couple of his sister's friends. So we're all going to stay there for a few nights. Um, it was going to be really great. So we had a wonderful first day there, um, went out to lunch and you know, hung out by a fire and did puzzles and just fun stuff. Um, and when we went to bed that night, there was blood in my underwear. And it was kind of more than spotting, but less than a period at that point. So, you know, it was, um, you know, almost middle of the night at that point. And so we sort of tried to go to bed, but didn't really get any sleep that night and kind of kept getting up every couple of hours to check. And I, I kept bleeding through the night. Um, and so in the morning, which was Friday morning, um, we, or I called the maternal pager number that I had and um, talked to a doctor eventually through that. You know, they tell you, like, if it's a miscarriage, they can't do anything. Um, may or may not be that. Can't really tell at this point. But that 
what they kept telling me was like, if I'm bleeding through, you know, a pad an hour, then I might need to go to the ER because I might need a blood transfusion. So it was more like they were worried about me um, rather than the baby. <clears throat> so, you know, we were obviously freaking out and we were, you know, away from home and with our health insurance, um, any, any hospital up there would have been out of network for us. So we decided to drive home right away just in case we needed to go in somewhere and so that we could, you know, use our insurance. Um, so that was really hard to decide to leave the, you know, family vacation and had to tell everybody why and all of that. Um, but we drove home and that was a pretty terrible drive. I started bleeding more heavily on the drive and started having cramping. So I was feeling pretty much like it was over at that point. Um, but we uh, got home and by that night, the cramping just, everything just kept kind of ramping up and getting worse. Um, in the evening, I started passing clots and, you know, we just, again, like hadn't slept the night before really. And we're just kind of laying in bed together, crying and not sleeping again. Um, and we had sort of talked to another doctor through the pager that night just to go over things again. And again, they just kept saying, you know, if I'm bleeding through more than a pound an hour, then I should come to the ER. And so around 2 a.m., it definitely got to that point. Um, it was just a lot of blood, a lot of cramp, a lot of cramping, a lot of clotting that was passing. Um, and so we made the decision to go to the ER, which I so did not want to do. Um, you know, especially in the middle of the night on a Friday night, um, right after Christmas, but we drove in and the more I've actually been listening to your podcast, like hearing about other women going through this and sort of the cramping with miscarriage, like it's actually um, contractions for some people. So I just like definitely connected with that as soon as I heard it because they were like timed, you know, and they started getting sort of closer together and longer and more painful. Um, so I just remember as he was driving, I was like, the pain was so bad. I was like lifting myself off the seat. It was just wild. Um, so we got to the, to the ER and I remember a, a woman was checking in whose water had just broken right behind me, which was like a total slap in the face. Um, and, uh, so they took me back right away to just sort of the, the waiting bed, um, and took blood, um, to see how my levels were mostly, I think just to see if I again needed a blood transfusion because I was losing so much blood. And actually, as I was waiting there in that bed, I like, I bled through like all of my clothes and onto the, to the bed that I was on. And so I had to like get up and go through sort of the waiting room hallway to this bathroom to go like take all my clothes off and change into hospital gowns. Cause I just didn't, I didn't bring any other clothes with me. Um, and um, they, you know, I went back to that bed and he had like cleaned it up and then I was, you know, sitting on one of those huge pad things. Um, and he, you know, the nurse could tell I was in pretty bad pain. And so he kept offering me, um, you know, morphine or narcotics or something. And I, I assumed as soon as I got to the ER, you know, they would just like give me an ultrasound right away, which was, couldn't have been further from the truth, but I didn't want to take any, anything just, just in case, like, you know, the baby was still alive. Um, and I also wanted to be alert. So I knew what was going on. Um, 
So even though I was in the worst pain I've ever felt, I didn't take any um, medication. So we waited in that bed for a while and then they moved us to a room eventually and found out sort of as we were walking back that the ER was just like extremely busy that night. There were people lining all of the uh, hallways and everything. And um, I think the only reason we got a room was because of what was happening with me. And so I feel really lucky to have had that room, but basically they put, you know, me and my husband in the, in the room and then it seemed like everybody disappeared. We were, you know, there for a couple of hours before anything really happened. Um, like a nurse came in once, looked at me, but didn't touch me. A doctor came in once, looked at me, but didn't touch me. Um, and we were just told that it was really busy and that the doctors kept getting called into codes. Like people were just literally dying. <laughs> um, so, you know, it was kind of chaotic, but we were just in this quiet room. And I just remember laying on this flat hospital bed, like curled in the needle position just cramping. Um, so eventually I, um, wanted to go use the bathroom. And so they said I could just get up and go. And so my husband sort of walked with me, but stayed outside. So it was like, we had to go down the hallway in the ER to just like one of these individual bathrooms. And, um, you know, after I used the bathroom and of course I'm still just like passing tons of blood and clotting, I, got up to wash my hands and I just looked in the mirror and I knew I was going to pass out. Like I was super lightheaded and felt just like tingly all over. Sorry to interrupt today's episode, but I wanted to talk a little bit about one of Fairhaven Health's products, and that is FH Pro for men and women. You guys, one in five couples experience difficulty conceiving, and in about 45% of those cases, sperm health is at play. Our friends at Fairhaven Health have formulated the perfect product to help both men and women get the supplements they need in order to conceive. Yes, you guys, we can get our husbands involved now. FH Pro is a patented non-prescription antioxidant-based supplement made with ingredients ingredients well studied for their role in supporting fertility like vitamin E, COQ10, zinc, and more with over 25 ingredients total. Each fertility supplement is formulated with ingredients studied to exactly what men and women need to optimize their fertility health. It also helps avoid all of those bottles and supplements on the bathroom counter or if you're like me, my nightstand. Learn more about FH Pro for men and women by visiting fairhavenhealth.com or the link in the description of this episode and don't forget you can use discount code LAM L-A-M for 10% off. Now let's get back to today's episode. And I just remember holding on to the sink thinking I just have to hold on until it passes um, and then I woke up on the bathroom floor um, and I just remember as I was sort of coming to, I was like, oh, I'm laying down. This is so great. Like, I'm really tired and I want to sleep. And then I realized, oh, this is disgusting. I'm laying on the ER bathroom floor and I fainted. Um, and so as soon as I was able to, I just like scrambled up, got up, you know, because no one could hear me in that bathroom. I was just like, the door was locked. Like I was just alone in there. Um, and I got out and managed to get just like basically fell into my husband's arms who was on the other side of the door and he kind of yelled she's fainting and these two nurses like grabbed me right away plopped me in a rolling chair and just like rolled me back to my room 
And, you know, before that I hadn't been like hooked up to anything. And so they like put me in the bed and um, started hooking me up to all the monitors and everything and putting all these like stickers and needles in me and everything. Um, and I just felt like I was looking down on myself. Like I was still, you know, basically unconscious, it seemed like. And, you know, they asked me questions if I knew where I was and stuff like that. And I was finally able to sort of answer those questions and kind of come to a little bit. But, you know, I, I keep, I still think this was so strange. Like nobody checked to see if I hit my head, which it turned out I did. It wasn't that bad, but, you know, nobody really checked and nobody, um, seemed to want to check my blood levels again because I obviously I felt like I fainted because I had lost so much blood but nobody really checked that out so they just kind of hooked me up and left left us there again um and so it was a couple hours again um before someone came to get me to roll me up to ultrasound um again like no doctor had really come to talk to us and so someone we had never seen a nurse came to get my bed and roll me up to the ultrasound and she I just she was chatting the nurse was she didn't say anything to me but she was chatting with other nurses around her about how it was such a crazy night she never even made it up to Starbucks and I just wanted to scream at her and say like I'm my baby is dead like how you know how could you be talking about that right now but I just like laid there um and I got up to sort of the ultrasound um and that ultrasound tech also didn't say anything to me and I know that you know she's not they're not supposed to say you know what they read but she just didn't even say anything to me and I was alone they wouldn't let my husband come so he was waiting down in our room and I was just up there by myself so, you know, she um, is doing the vaginal ultrasound and just not saying anything. Um, and it was really painful. Um, but she sort of finished that and then left me to sort of get back dressed. And she just left the room. And I'm like still hooked up to all of these cords and things. And I've got these two hospital gowns on. And during the ultrasound, you know, I had just been like sleep bleeding. And they're just, it was like, it was a total murder scene in there afterwards. Like there was blood literally, sorry to be graphic, but just like, you know, dripping down my legs and onto the floor and was all over the hospital gowns that I had been wearing. And because of the cords, I couldn't get the hospital gowns off to like clean myself. Um, And so I was just like struggling there. Finally called this lady back who hadn't said anything to me and had to ask her for help, which was just mortifying. Um, She, you know, she had to basically unhook all of my cords so we could get the hospital gowns off, et cetera, et cetera, and get get me clean gowns. Um, So after that was sort of sorted out, I got rolled, you know, back down to my room. And still at this point, you know, nobody had told us that we lost the baby, even though we knew we did, but nobody had said it. and it was about, I feel like it was 6 or 7 a.m. at this point. And um, I feel like it was about to be a shift change. And so the night doctor finally came in and told us, yes, that, you know, I'm having a miscarriage. Um, but that the fetus was still inside me. Which just honestly shocked me because I had just lost so much 
blood and clots. I just figured they had already come away. Um, but they said it was still in there, although it was um, kind of, it was had loosened and was kind of close to coming out, I guess they thought. Um, but they, you know, kind of run through the three options, you know, natural, taking medication or having a DNC. But this doctor could not really explain what any of those three options would entail and just kind of kept saying, well, the OB will be down to talk to you, you know, around 9 a.m. Um, and so just sort of he, he kind of left to let us think about that. And then after the shift change, the, you know, the new morning doctor came in and he basically said the exact same thing that the other doctor had just said, that we we're still waiting on the OB. He, again, could not really explain any of the three options to us um, in any more detail. Um, so we were like, okay, well, we'll just have to wait for this OB, even though we've been there for hours and we just knew we had to wait more hours. Um, so I decided I needed to go to the bathroom again. So this time I had, you know, the nurses unplug some of my cords so that I could be a little bit more free to move. Um, my husband came with me into the bathroom this time. Um, and so as soon as I um, sat down on the toilet, I felt, I felt the baby come out and I just knew right away what it was. And, you know, I looked down, it's just, it's so, it's so weird and horrible, but you see just in this toilet in a pool of blood is what you know was going to be your baby. Um, and I told Eric, I told my husband, and I was sort of freaking out. I wanted to just get get out of there. Um, and he was like, "We have to, we have to tell somebody. You know, we have to get the nurse." Um, and so he stayed in the bathroom, and I um, left, and I got the nurse, the new morning nurse that we had, who was actually really great. Um, and I told her what had happened, and she. Um, she put gloves on and I just thought this was the most horrible job this poor woman had, but she, she got gloves on and she gathered up the fetus um, to save and uh, said that the OB would probably look at it. Um, and, but she said that she thought it looked like the full sack, um, which was good. So, you know, we went back to our room. And so by the time the OB finally came down, we, we were pretty sure, you know, we had, that the miscarriage was complete um and she the OB was really great and she you know finally sort of you know talked to us like humans and answered all of our questions um kind of even though I feel like after all of this the questions are just sort of building and building but at the time you know I felt like she answered all the questions I had um you know that I was probably a chromosomal abnormality and you know she even said that I was more likely to have a healthy pregnancy now that I had kind of got that out of my way um so that was that was pretty much it after our conversation with her we we left the ER and we went home um so and that was you know just a couple of days after Christmas um in 2019 so she had told us to wait one cycle uh before trying again um and it took me about five and a half weeks for my for my cycle to come back which again felt just like the longest time ever um and kind of since since the miscarriage i've just been reading everything about it talking to anybody i can find you know kind of as i said i 
I just don't really know anybody close to me that has had a miscarriage. I'm um, none of my friends really close around me are having kids or have kids. Um, so it's felt a little bit isolating kind of in that. So I was just so grateful when I found this, this podcast to listen to. And it's just been so wonderful to hear, you know, other women's stories. Uh, but I've pretty much just been thinking about it. I think I heard another woman say this recently, just, I wake up and I think about it and I think about it all day until I go to bed. Um, that I just, you know, hope, hope to have a healthy baby eventually. Um, so we just finished, uh, sort of the second cycle after the miscarriage and found out, you know, we did not get pregnant, um, this first cycle of trying. So I'm at a bit of a low point, but, um, my husband is so great and he, he's really positive. Um, so he, he's very hopeful and I'm, I try to be hopeful. Um, you know, I'm, uh, young and he is not so young. So that kind of stresses me out a little bit. Uh, even though most doctors don't like to kind of really say anything about men's fertility. And I certainly don't want him to ever feel like it could be, you know, his fault because it's not, it's not about fault at all. Um, but just that kind of answers, you know, would be great. And we just don't, we just don't really have any right now. So um, the plan, you know, currently is just to, to keep trying, um, and see where that goes. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part is just yeah. like not having answers and being mm-hmm. told to just do it again and hope for the yes. best, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It seems like there's gotta be a better way. <laughs> right. I always call it Russian roulette. Like that's what I, mm-hmm. that's what I feel like. It's like playing Russian roulette with my children's lives and my emotions and it's ridiculous yeah Yeah, absolutely absolutely (laughs) oh girl it's your your um your story matches very closely with my Mm. first miscarriage so I really Mm. hit home the whole ER experience Um, yeah it's rough but I so appreciate you jumping on and sharing you helped me feel less alone I'm sure you (laughs) helped a lot of other women feel less alone so I just really appreciate it I always ask at the end of every episode if you had one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation what would it be yeah so kind of as I said I'm definitely you know I'm in the thick of it and I kind of feel like it's a little bit wild for me to try to give somebody else advice right now but I'll do my best um you know, for me, I'm, you know, I, I struggle with depression and anxiety and especially because I'm off, you know, any medication that I had been previously taking right now. I'm just like, you know, desperately trying to kind of hold on to something and, you know, stay, stay as together as I can. Um, so for me, I just need to get my mind off of it sometimes. And the only way I can do that is if, I, if I'm doing something that kind of takes my whole brain. Um, because if I can just be using part of my brain, then the other part of my brain is going to be thinking about babies. (laughs) Um, so for me, those things kind of tend to be practicing yoga or because I'm an artist making art, um, maybe even cooking a meal, something like that. Um, so, you know, for me, mostly doing something kind of creative or productive. Um, and so, I guess my advice is to just try and find what that is for you uh, and just make sure that at least every day you do something 
that is so consuming um, and so pleasurable for you that you you know can't possibly think about this tough stuff that's going on and that just sort of you know gives your mind a little bit of a break um, to then kind of come back refreshed so absolutely that's, that's what I got yeah <laughs> yeah you're I mean although mine wasn't productive reality tv really (laughs) (laughs) i totally can relate to that the stupid show is that you could just Mm -hmm. like shut your brain off too and yeah absolutely oh my gosh stop watching yeah i'm like no (laughs) nope i do what i want (laughs) oh goodness now if somebody wants to reach out to you where could they do so yeah, um, Instagram would be great. It's Anna Wallace Made, um, and I also wanted to share. Like, I haven't I haven't shared about this on Instagram yet. People are totally welcome to reach out to me, and I'm actually, as I said, I'm an artist, and so I'm I've been working through some some art about this experience, and so I'm hoping to kind of have some of that ready soon and share that as well on that awesome. platform. Super cool. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate you jumping on this morning and we will stay in touch. Awesome. I'm here if you need anything. And thank you we'll so talk much. Soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Take myself, take my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. 